Welcome to You Should Get a License, the number one source for anyone looking to learn about or join the most underrated opportunity in business today, a career in the insurance industry. Get educated, motivated, and inspired for your journey as you learn both how and why you should get a license. Loving the You Should Get a License podcast? Want to help us to keep making great content? Consider making a donation by clicking the listener support link in the episode description. Your support helps us to keep bringing you the best information, education, and inspiration on the most underrated career opportunity in business today. We appreciate you in advance on letting everybody know why you should get a license. Welcome back. Welcome back once again to the number one source for information, education, and inspiration on the most underrated career path in business today. You should get a license. This is the podcast edition. This is Rod Powell. And we are here today with a phenomenal man, individual, business person, entrepreneur. Um, He is a, a husband, father, grandfather, as I mentioned, serial entrepreneur, has been very successful in the corporate world, but also has had a tremendous amount of success in financial services as an educator and as a professional um, as well for several years. He's an author. He's an educator. His his resume is just a a long list and awards and accolades and and just all kinds of of things that he's accomplished. But uh, I'm excited to get into our conversation. I want to welcome to You Should Get a License, the podcast edition, Mr. Jason Mary. Jason, welcome, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, and thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate having the opportunity to have this conversation, and I know that uh, you always bring uh, some talented individuals, so I really appreciate you considering me to uh, have this conversation tonight. I, I, absolutely, man. Well, you know, we, we want to share, you know, the, the best and brightest, you know, in our industry, um, you certainly are indicative of that, you know, with what you've done inside of, of the business and outside of the business and, you know, the things that you're doing to kind of reach back and share information with others. So, uh, you know, thank you for being here and uh, thank you for, for sharing your story and, and just kind of sharing, you know, the nuggets of guidance that people will be able to get from this conversation. You know, um, speaking of, you know, speaking of nuggets and guidance, you know, one of the things that we talk about, you know, on the platform is, you know, really all of the different types of insurance. Some people call it insurance. Some people call it risk management. Some people call it financial services. You know, sometimes it's, it's financial planning when you're adding the investment piece into it, which I, which I know you do as well. Uh, can you just give us a, a, just an idea or an insight into your area of specialty, you know, your licenses, your designations, and what you do on a day-to-day basis? Oh, certainly. So I, I have a number of licenses, um, securities licenses I have, as well as my life and health insurance license. So my, my securities license I have is a Series 7, and that's a general securities license. And I'm also, I have the 66. So I'm a registered investment advisor as well. Additionally, my life and health insurance license. So those three licenses are really the licenses that I possess. Potentially we'll be getting more, but currently right now, those three. Absolutely, absolutely. So 
for those, okay, you said, you mentioned a word there that I want to kind of dig into a little bit because, you know, some, you know, people who are listening to the, the, the podcast, some of them have experience, you know, in the business, some of them do not. When you say securities, what are you, what are you referring to in that regard? So securities meaning equities or bonds, um, as well as options. Um, when I was at Merrill Lynch, I had on my platform the capability to have individuals be able to have options as part of their portfolio. My current mm. um, platform, options is not necessarily part of the platform, but wealth management is part of the platform. And as a registered investment advisor, I'm a fiduciary and that allows me to manage money through the money managers that I work and represent and give me the ability to help individuals build their wealth through wealth management strategies and have money managers um, help me to make recommendations that can gear my clients the ability to to build their wealth you know that's 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 a lot to unpack there it's, it's a really important piece because you know right now when we look online right um we see a lot of information about making money making money making money right what we don't see as much information on is what to do with the money once you have it. That's right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, what, what, what comes, what comes next? Why do you, well, let, let me, what, what is your, what's your, what are your thoughts around, you know, the importance of, of, you know, money management, wealth management, asset management, you know, to building a, a healthy, um, portfolio of, of, of financial assets and also from a legacy standpoint as well? The biggest thing I would say is time, okay? So the time value of money. And when people really understand the time value of money and they really get that, they understand like you can't procrastinate early on in life. You wanna take advantage of time because when you have a principle, right? And you have interest earned on that principal. And when it's reinvested and continue to be reinvested over a long period of time, you can become very wealthy. So the prime value of money, I would say, is the biggest business aspect that individuals need to really get their hand around and get their head around. Absolutely. Benefit tremendously. But people are not thinking that far ahead. They're thinking for today, or they're not thinking as though time will go by quickly, you know? <laughs> so time is very critical. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. It's, 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 it's one of them things where, you know, you can either take advantage of it by utilizing it properly, or you can think that you have an unlimited amount and then you look up and it's like, oh man, yesterday was 20 years ago, exactly. right? <laughs> you know? And, and either you you prepared and you planned or either or either you have not. No, it's it's so important. I just wanted you to just touch on that a little bit. I mean, speaking of time, let's let's take a trip. Let's go back in time. Let's let's go back in time. You know, coming into this business, typically people come from different backgrounds. Like, you know, my background growing up, you know, I thought I was gonna be in the entertainment industry, I was gonna be famous RB singing, all that good, all that good jazz, right? Um, and, and this this industry just kind of finds its way to us, right? We may have met people in the past and, you know, we come upon them, maybe they said something and we like, maybe never thought we'd be there or maybe we thought we'd be there. Maybe it was a relative, maybe it was somebody who's working mm -hmm. information. I wanna, I wanna go back to like, you know, a nine, 10 year old Jason Mary, 
right? And what were you, what were you dreaming of? What were you thinking of, of being when you grew up, when you became an adult at that time? Yeah, that's, that's going back. <laughs> I'll be honest to say that it, I didn't necessarily have a, a, a blueprint that early on. However, as a, a, a teenager, I became to understand that I wanted to, you know, earn money for myself. And I, I realized that as a, an adult, by seeing my mom as a single parent, that it wasn't always easy to make ends meet. If you had to put food on the table, had to buy clothes for me and my brother, had to send us, say, to sleepaway camp in the summers or take us on vacations, all that costs money. So as a teenager, I began to understand, like, the more money you have, the more things you can do. The less money you have, less options you have to live the way you want to live. So I guess... As a teenager, I began to say, you know, I really want to figure out how I'm going to earn a living. I didn't have a specific, I guess, um, career path at that point, but I knew that it was important for me to earn money if I wanted things. For example, like my brother, he was able to work and go to school, but I wasn't really that tight on my academics until later on in life. So my mom wasn't letting me go to work and school <laughs> in high school. You follow right. me? So I had to figure out, well, well, how was I going to get this money and how was I going to earn a living? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me ask you a question about that because you you mentioned that, you know, 910, hey, not, not really thinking about, you know, what, you know, what the move is going to be in adulthood, but you did realize, you know, as you entered into your teen years, hey, look, you know, we need to make some money. We need to make sure that, that we have some access and opportunity. Now you, you're from the Bronx, New York. Correct. Right. Bronx, South Bronx, South, South Bronx. Right. Is, is it South Bronx or is it North Bronx? I mean, is, there a, is there a North Bronx? It's the, it's the Soundview area. Okay. Rosedale um, Gardens is where I grew up at, right over there, Bruckner and Rosedale. But it's the Soundview area, primarily where I grew up. Early on, I lived um, not too far I say from Yankee Stadium. Okay. I was more in the South Bronx. Yeah. But um, it's the Bronx, you know. It's, a it's the Bronx. It's the Bronx. The boogie down. The boogie down. So look, um, in that area growing up, did you see any? Did you see any financial services or financial industry professionals around? Like, was that something that was exposed? Well. I'll be transparent. Um, you saw people around, but it wasn't necessarily financial services, but it was <laughs> it was services that you get paid for. <laughs> Not necessarily, but I mean you had your candy stores, you had your retailers. So I guess your retailers was what I was exposed to from the standpoint of you know business owners, yeah. but not necessarily financial services. But my mom, she worked for a bank. Mm -hmm. She worked for Citibank for 38 years. So from that perspective, in my household, um, financial services was, or money management skills was indoctrinated in me at a young and early age. Yeah. I worked for the bank. No, that's a plus. That's a plus. I, I, I just ask because, you know, I know that a lot of times with, with our industry, right, just in this, in this realm, 
regardless, even regardless of market specialties, you know, you just don't often come across a lot of exposure, you know, and, and until until later on. And then when you find out that it exists, it's like, oh, well, where where's that been? You know, how come I ain't, I ain't hear about that one. So I was just I was just curious, you know, growing up in the Bronx, if, if, if that influence was present. It wasn't influence. I'll, it wasn't present in Richmond, Virginia. I'll tell you that, you know, either. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, go, going through that process, process how, how did you end up like, kind of take me through your career journey? Cause I know you had some success in the corporate world, you know, prior as well. So, so kind of take me from, from high school, you're not working a job there, but you know, go, going into the school and then going in, into your career and how you end up founding yourself eventually in this space. Certainly, certainly. So I, I went away to college I went to Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. So I'm a graduate from Stevenson High School in the Bronx. And when I graduated from Stevenson, I knew I wanted to study business, but I didn't know what um, discipline I wanted to focus on. And then when I got to Marist, my first semester, I took a, a marketing management course. So I really did well in that course, and it led me to feel like sales and marketing was my career path. So business, marketing, sales, that was my career path early on. But when I, senior year, I took an investment analysis course and that kind of opened my world to the capital markets. And upon graduating, I wanted to you know, go to work at, at Merrill Lynch. But before graduating, I had to start working because my junior year, actually got married and my first son was born. So my wow. first son was born my junior year, my second son was born in my senior year. So I had wow. to go and go to school and I had to decide whether I was gonna stop school and just work or whether I was just gonna finish school to you know get my degree so I can increase my um, livelihood. I said, I need to do both. Yeah. I can't not work because I had children and a wife to take care of, but I needed to accelerate getting out of school. So I finished, graduated school on time. Wanted to go to Wall Street upon getting that investment analysis course in my senior year. And I went down to Wall Street, but they wouldn't let me be a financial advisor. They told me I didn't have sales experience. I said, well, I'm just coming out of college. I don't have sales experience, but I have an aspiration to be an advisor. So you need a sales experience. I said, all right, well, I worked in the back office for Merrill Lynch managing the average price account. So mm -hmm. I was doing a back office accounting work. That wasn't really my passion, but it was a means to an end. So then I went and got some sales experience, worked for Brinkster Armor Car Company for a number of years. Okay. Uh, left there and went to Philip Morris. Didn't have a short, I only had a short stand at Philip Morris because selling tobacco wasn't really something I was passionate about. You said Brinks. Did you say Brinks? Brinks the armor car company. I sold. What, what do you, so what do you sell at Brinks? I'm just talking So I sold air courier service. So any, um, Brinks would have your stocks, your bonds, your jewelry, precious right. metals, any valuables. Yep. Domestically as well as internationally. Yes. Selling the service to the banks and brokerage houses. And the ah, got you. Okay, okay, yeah. To utilize bring service district dealers that any movement of valuables they needed to move them. I got you. Okay, 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 perfect. All right, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, I just like bricks. Huh, are we selling the trucks? Are we doing you know? Okay, so all right, now we 
We back. Okay, Philip Morris, tobacco. <laughs> and then, as unfortunately throughout my career, um, in 1988, um, I became a widower because mm. my first wife passed away. She was diagnosed with cancer right after my first son was, excuse wow. me, second son was when my son Jabari came home. His mom, my wife, Rhonda, said, fortunately, I diagnosed with cancer. So she lived seven, six years after that. So she passed in 88. So as I left Brinks and went to Philip Morris in 89, didn't um, really like, like I said, selling cigarettes. I ended up transitioning to a pharmaceutical business in 1991. So got an opportunity to work in a pharmaceutical company. And I spent a lot of years in a pharmaceutical company, about 15, 16 years in a pharmaceutical company. Wow. And additionally, I am one that wants to always give back to my community. And I had began volunteering my time in a professional sales networking organization called the National Sales Network in the mid nineties. And the ability then came along, this is 2006, and I got recruited to Merrill Lynch as a Wow. Wow. Pharmaceutical business. You know, I was a business banker with Citibank at one point in time. Also worked for Black Enterprise Magazine um, in between some stints in the pharmaceutical business. Yeah, you worked with Earl Graves. You worked with him. I did. Yeah. And um, that was a great experience. No question about it. Worked for one of the legends in, in business. And um, when Merrill Lynch recruited me and I got on board there, it was in the height of the global financial crisis. So I was only there from 2006 to 2008. Mm. Think about it, that's where I got my Series 7. I got my Series 7 and my 66 when I was at Merrill Lynch. Okay. So even though it was a short stint at Merrill, I was able to get licensed and I still possess those licenses today. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a test you never want to take again. Once you get <laughs> that, you never want that's to what take I hear. Again. That's what I hear, you know? <laughs> no question. Absolutely. So, so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you, you, you had that goal, you know, even coming out of college and it took some time, but you still kept it as an aspiration and you accomplished it. But you know, Rod, I will tell you this, um, the fact that when my wife was diagnosed and I became a caregiver early on, in hindsight, if I would have had that high-pressure financial advisor job then, it might have been difficult for me to balance it then. So in hindsight, the timing that I did become a financial advisor, because it's not easy gathering assets and you know earning your keep as an yeah. entrepreneur in the financial service industry. It's a high-pressure type of uh, environment. So in hindsight, it was probably better that I did other selling and, and develop skill sets early on in life throughout my career before taking on this type of role and responsibility. Hey, you know, I always say all things in, in divine order, you know, because, right. you know, you just never, you just never know why things are working in a certain way until you get to the other side. And then you're like, exactly. okay, now that that begins to make some sense, you know, okay. even if it's not making sense at, at the time that it's happening. So, you know, from um, 
from Merrill Lynch, you know, obviously, so, so having the series set, let me just make sure we're, we're clear for, for everyone who's listening as well. Um, when you started at Merrill Lynch, now you had to go through the process of life health followed by securities licensing. Or well, actually it was in reverse. In reverse. Okay, that's yeah, what I was gonna say. Or I did the seven first. Okay. Which is seven. Then I took the 66. Now the 66 is a combination of the 63 and the 65. So registered investment advisor. Now, in order to take the 66, you have to have the seven. Mm-hmm. That's why you have to have the seven first. Then the life and health. That comes afterwards. That was the easy one. Easier, that's a much easier test. That was the easy test for you. It was like, whatever. <laughs> All tests are tests, but it was right. definitely easy, comparable to the other. No, I, I, I know folks that take that series seven, man. I, that's that's a real one right there. That's a that's that's like a like a bar exam, you know. That's that's a tough or medical exam. That's a, that's a tough one. No, definitely. Give you, I give you, give you, gotta give you your flowers, you know, for that one. Gotta, gotta give the props for that one, you know. So, co- coming into into the Merrill Lynch, you know, two thousand six, two thousand to two thousand eight, obviously, boom, you know, the the bottom drop, you know, out of the entire country. What what, what happens next? So at that point, I said to myself, uh, well, do I go to uh, J.P. Morgan Chase? Do I go to Morgan Stanley? Do I go to Goldman? You know, Prudential, I know, was looking to recruit me. A lot of companies were looking to recruit me. But at that particular time, the whole industry was just, you know, upside down. So I didn't want to necessarily shift and just go to another company and yet not knowing whether or not I was going to succeed. All right. So I ended up, I started a health and wellness business. Mm. I started a health and wellness business. Again, my prior experience in the pharmaceutical business, I understood the importance of health. And that's what I started. But I didn't make enough money making money to do that platform. And then my youngest daughter was about to go to school. So my salary went away. <laughs> my expenses was about to go up. So I had to figure out, well, how I was going to make ends meet. I still had a mortgage. Yeah. All right. You live in New York. Well, you live, you're in Jersey. At that time, I lived in New Jersey. Yep. Still more than Virginia. All okay. right. <laughs> so I transitioned from Merrill, the health and wellness business, didn't make enough money to make ends meet. So then I learned Medicare. Mm. So I became a captive um, employee with Health First. And then I had a stint with United Healthcare. So I learned the Medicare business. So I utilized my life and health insurance license to basically take care of my bills at the wow. time. But my passion was still the transition back into financial services, but what model, I didn't necessarily want to go work for a bank. And as you know, if you don't know, let me just tell you that working for one of the major wirehouses, your goals are tremendous. Meaning they want you to bring millions and millions of dollars in access under management to earn your keep. Gotcha. Only about 10 to 15 percent of financial advisors actually make it in the industry because of that. Yeah. If you have the capability of gathering those assets, you can earn a living. But if you don't, you end up getting pushed to the side and then they keep your book. So whatever assets you did bring, Whew. they're gonna keep it and say, well, you know, this is not working out. 
we'll see you later. Wow. And you got to start all over somewhere else. So I actually found a platform that allowed me to continue working in the Medicare space, right? And then start building my business and then give me the capability to replace my income and then walk away from a full-time position. So wow. that was a platform that was best suited to me. I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I, you know, you mentioned a few different pieces there and I think it's important to, to kind of highlight them because you've had several experiences, you know, in, in the business, you've been on the entrepreneurial side, you've been on the uh, more of a, you, you've been on the, I would say kind of a contractor style side, you know, when you're, you know, under like a, a Merrill Lynch, like that kind of umbrella, you're like an employee, but you're still kind of a contractor. So you kind of have all of those resources there. And then you've been an employee as well. I, I, I call, I call it, you know, you know, independent, independent with major distribution and record deal, right? It's like, you know, your, your independence, like, hey, it's all on me. You know, everything is all on me. You're independent with major distribution, you got resources and support, you know, to help you along. And then you got the record deal. Okay, I'm a salaried employee. But in those instances, you still were leveraging the experiences, the skills, the licenses that you got, you know, inside of the industry as well. So I, I just I just wanted to highlight that because, you know, for anyone who's listening, they should know that there's so many different paths that you can take and still find stability, you know, and still be able to build. It's like, hey, you know, you're done doing the asset piece. Okay, when the economy changed from an investment side, okay, now I can move over here into Medicare and that can kind of take care of the day-to-day. -day. Boom, now I've found a, a, a system, a process and an approach, you know, under, you know, an IMO channel that allows me to still work independently and boom, that that is going to be the platform. So you got a lot of different different areas. I just wanted to highlight that. Um, also wanted to just kind of take a step back because you know along along this entire journey, we haven't talked about it much, but you did mention it. You know, kind of coming out of school, and and if you don't mind, you know, sharing a little bit more about you know becoming a widower at an early age, still having to work and build your business at this time. You know, you're a young single dad. What was that process and what was that balance? I really want to know what, like, what the balance was like from a business standpoint, still moving forward uh, with that additional responsibility, first as a caregiver, then as a single dad. Well, well, I'll preface my comments by really specifying this. And this is really, really my God belief that when I was 15, 16 years old, I pledged to a fraternity. It was a rights and parsons <laughs> program for the Order of the Feather Fraternity. And I was a leader, I was the vice president of my line, my brother was the president of the line. So that prepared me for being a man. It prepared me for really understanding what it would take for me to really grow up. Not knowing that as a junior in college, I was gonna really have to start handling a lot of responsibilities. Yeah. When I graduated, I had to, as you mentioned, be a caregiver, be a father, be a husband, taking my kids to school, making sure that they would, you know, get picked up from the babysitter, making sure that everything was fine with my career. So I had to start a career, yeah. <laughs> had to have quality time with my family, and also be a, be a caregiver, right? So I would say that 
my ability to balance that was also, you know, my spiritual foundation. But those leadership skills that I learned as a leader early on as a teenager through that Rice of Passage program, it prepared me for life. Mm -hmm. And it prepared me for the standpoint that I felt and I still feel that I have the mental toughness that any obstacle that comes my way, I'm going to find a way to overcome it. Mm. I honestly believe that. And yeah. That prepared me for, for those things and anything that is going to come to, to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as it, we, we talked a little bit offline about, about that, you know, just about rites of passage programs, you know, in general. And you don't, you, there are some, you know, in, in a few different parts of the, of the country, um, you know, that, that you might hear, that you might hear about, but it's not really a, it's not a commonality in our society, especially for, you know, young men, uh, especially for our young, young black men, you know, how you said that you, you already mentioned how important it was in your development. How important do you think it, it could or should be, you know, in the development of, of other young, young men coming up or just around the country? Well, it is vitally, vitally important because, I mean, we have, unfortunately, a problem where we don't always have fathers staying in the household for whatever reason, all right? Separation, divorce, or abandonment, all right? It's all different reasons. And I honestly feel that if we don't have as many fathers in the household, our young men and our young ladies miss out on that full nurturing that a father and a parent, meaning their mom, can bring. When it's only the responsibility of one, it puts added pressure on either the father or the mother, because there are still single fathers out here too. Mm, <laughs> yeah. We, we always tend to think that, well, it's single parents is a single mother. No, there's single fathers out here doing an exceptional job. So if you don't have two nurturing parents in the household, it puts more pressure on the single parent, right? Therefore, a rites of passage program, it certainly helped me out because I was raised by a single parent. So my parents separated early. You know, my dad and myself, we had a more relationship early, later on in life, mm -hmm. you know, after high school, after college, right? But through all those formative years, he wasn't necessarily around. He was in and out of his service. So I didn't necessarily have that. So missing that, it tells me that I'm not alone, but yet if you could identify how important it is, then a righteous package program can, can fill that void in a lot of instances. Absolutely, absolutely. It, you know, and it, and it really kind of leads into, well, it, that's, a found, that's a foundational piece, but it really kind of sets the foundation for, you know, lifelong personal development you know, always seeking, you know, to be, be the best version, you know, of yourself. Um, over the course of, of your career, how important has that been as a focus? Because it, it, you know, I can, I can tell when, when I speak to you, I can tell, you know, when, you know, reading, you know, the book, um, which I know you've written too, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, how important has like that personal development been as far as you being successful in your life and in your business? Well, it's been vitally important because not only as a father, not only as a corporate sales professional, as well as an entrepreneur, I 
became very involved with nonprofit organizations that catered towards my career. So the National Sales Network were a perfect example. Um, I spent a lot of years as a member of that organization, became a leader in that organization, held just about every uh, role and responsibility there was in the organization, you know, from membership, from the president to the chairman of the board, all right? And as well, the Association of African-American Financial Advisors became a member of that organization as well. So anytime that you volunteer your time, you provide service, you're going to grow. But more importantly, you don't just become a part of the organization. You got to serve. You got to right. develop those skills. So when I became a leader in National Sales Network, I developed platform skills. I developed leadership skills. I developed the ability to delegate, the, de the ability to um, organize events, the ability to um, develop succession planning processes. You know, and I'm happy to say that we have a, a, a very viable succession planning um, situation with National Sales Network. Mm -hmm. You know, I was one of the presidents. I was introduced to the organization by one of the co-founders of the organization, Joe Benson, who's still part of the board. And we've had successful presidents each and every time a, a, a term is up, or maybe a president has two terms, but we always got someone on the bench ready to fill in that role. Right. Right. Always got someone on the bench. So that succession plan is so, so key. And for me personally, my personal development continues because I, I, I've had to take introspection. Right. When I've had to get let go or had to pivot through the pandemic or when I let go, I let go of Merrill Lynch or when I became a widower, you always have to course correct. Yeah. If you don't have the skill set to do that, you don't have the mental toughness to do that or the fortitude to understand that things are changing. Now you're either gonna remain the same, you're gonna suffer because of things are changing and you're not prepared for it, or you're gonna adapt, adapt and you're right. gonna grow as a result of right. the things that come about. Those are the people who succeed, not the ones who fall by the wayside when the going gets tough. The ones who rise to the occasion That's when right. the going gets tough and you learn from those experiences and you bring people along with you. Mm. So my children, you know, their peers or brothers in my fraternity or brothers in a sales networking organization, they can see through my perseverance that it can get done regardless what is in front of you. It can get done. Yeah. Yeah. No. How, how do you... Um continuously, you know, stay motivated with that. Like what's your what's your what's your what's your process for like just keeping keeping going forward? Cause you you you've been in business for for a while. I mean when you, when now when people see the video, they're gonna be like, how he been in there for a while? Cause you said you spent 15 years at a company you started in 1991. And like that's impossible looking at this guy. But <laughs> how do you at this point, you know, you've been successful, you know, you've been successful in in in, in multiple you know avenues, but even in your even in your your, your latest um, and, and current endeavor, you know, as far as being the author, as well as the financial educator, financial services, you got assets that are under management now. You know, you're kind of rolling in the space. What what keeps you motivated to uh, keep moving and building on a day to day? My my ancestors, my mentors. You know, I've watched people succeed. I've seen where 
my ancestors have had to suffer or yeah. have to sacrifice. So they have paved the way for me to succeed. So I feel that I have to now pave the way for others to succeed. And the only way mm -hmm. for me to do that is for me to continue being the best that I can be and showing that regardless of what may come about in business, in family, in society, we can't allow excuses to stand in our way. A lot of times people unfortunately make excuses, but you got to overcome obstacles. That's right. You have to really have the fortitude to say that I'm going to find a way to make this happen. You know, from a family standpoint, my, my children, my grandchildren, my family, you know, very important to me. So I know that I don't envision myself ever letting them down. Mm, that's one right there. You know, not that's 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 one to take right there. Like, you know, I don't envision myself letting my family down. That's because 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 that why. Like having and having a why in this business is, is typically what's the driver of success. And that one right there, not letting my family down. That's that's huge. That's huge. That's that's good. That's good. So let's talk, let's let's talk about the family. Let's talk about the drive. Let's talk about the ancestry. Let's let's talk about your faith, the purpose, and the legacy, as a matter of fact. You know, let's let's talk talk. So I know I know there's two books. This uh, this is one. Um Talk to before we dig into this. Let's talk about let's talk about your your um, your other book as well. Uh, so there's two books. What are, what are the titles of the two books? Right. So my first book is Faith Plus Purpose Equal Legacy, and the second book is Our Stories, Our Voices, Black Men Speak Our Truth. Mm. I, I self-published the first book, and that book um, was intended to show the importance of fatherhood. You know. And I always wanted to be the best father that I can be, not necessarily growing up with my dad. When I became a dad, I was like, I want to be the best dad that I can be. And when I took the book to the company that was helping me write it, they said, well, you know, there's a lot of dads out here. And you're not an athlete, you're not a celebrity. What's going to make you different to talk about fatherhood? Yeah. But if you turn it into an educational book, it may be more receptive. I said, okay, I can relate to that. Well, what am I good at? What, am, what do I know? I said entrepreneurship is what I know. So I tied the book into being a father and showing a relationship of how entrepreneurship education can help keep more fathers in the household through the seven steps of teaching entrepreneurship and strengthening our communities through these seven steps, right? Because we can build leadership skills for our children character building skills for our children. And then parents can show a good example by being entrepreneurs, keep multiple streams of income. You're gonna keep more fathers in the household. Thus we can strengthen our communities through entrepreneurship and education. That's the first book. Yeah. The second book, I was a co-author of that book. And I was a co-author with 11 other gentlemen, doctors, lawyers, nonprofit organization leaders, teachers, myself being an entrepreneur. And basically we talk about our stories. We talk about overcoming adversity. We talk about never giving up. And despite what obstacles were in our way, we find a way to maintain a level of success. My chapter is on success principles. And I really focus on you know, my mentoring, 
my ability to learn platform skills, my ability to give back through the National Sales Network, as well as Association of African American Financial Advisors. And again, paving the way for others as the path that has been paved for me. So that's the two books that I read. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I tell you, you know, Jason, I mean, you, you certainly have a, a, a powerful story. I wanna, I wanna go back to, I wanna go back to, you know, the first book, you know, for a minute, Faith, Purpose and Legacy, um, where you actually, you know, you talked about the Rights of Passage program here. You know, you, you, you spoke about, you know, your early, you know, time and, and kind of learning from entrepreneurs, you know, like Earl Graves, uh, which was also mentioned you know, in this book, what are, what are some of the things that you pulled, um, not from other fathers, but from other businessmen that you include in here? So, so like Earl Graves, what, what would maybe some, some nuggets and gems that have kind of fed you throughout your, your career? So when I worked at Black Enterprise Magazine and being able to see the ability for the publication to highlight the success stories of entrepreneurs and business owners people of color across the country, globally, succeed. It just geared me towards wanting to become an entrepreneur. And additionally, having the entrepreneurship conference. Um, I was part of uh, a tour of building wealth conferences that we mm. put together. Um, my role and responsibility was at the time, I was a group subscription sales manager. So I was selling the magazine to large groups, to the fraternities, to the sororities, right, to the social organizations. Um, and that capability of just being around a legend in business, you know, working with books from John and Mike, um, it was just an excellent, excellent opportunity. Additionally, Reginald Lewis, um, mm. he was, you know, definitely a mentor in that, you know, just seeing him turn a $60 million investment in McCall Pattern, a sewing company, $60 million investment in McCall Pattern, right? Then he turned that into a $985 million yeah. buyout with TLC Beatrice, all right? Became yeah. the first billionaire as a result of that. You know, he, the book that he wrote, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun, you know, when I was at Brinks, I read that book back in like 1987, somewhere thereabouts, right? And wow. When I saw that you could make it on Wall Street, he was a Harvard trained lawyer. Yes. Short, short life, you know, only, I think. But impactful. 50 years of age, but in those 50 years, he just continued, you know, then being around the Black Enterprise Golf and Tennis Challenge, being around Ken Chenault, you know, American Express. Mm. You know, just thought leaders in business. You know, I actually just uh, saw Thomas Deutsch, um, chairman of 100 Black Men. Used to see him a lot at the uh, Black Enterprise Golf and Tennis Challenge. So just seeing heavy hitters you putting out there in business. Yeah, just succeed in life. It encouraged me to say, you know, I want to become an entrepreneur, and I can do it. I can succeed in being an entrepreneur as a result of the again the path that has been presented. It's been paid. Yeah. You, know? you watch people, you model after people. You don't have to necessarily be related to them, but read their story. Yeah. So when I'm writing my story, people are going to see that now. Okay. Right. You know, it's a cycle. 
And if we do that and we have succession planning, we continue to grow as individuals, we continue to grow as business professionals, and then we can bring the next generation along with us as the previous generations have brought us along. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, one of the questions I always like to ask on the, on the platform, and you know, it's, it's this business, it opens a lot of doors. You know, as you should get a license, we want people to, we want people to take a take a serious look at, you know, getting their insurance license. And if they have the insurance license, we want them to take a serious look at utilizing it, you know, to its to its fullest um, possibility and capacity. What are some things in this in this industry has allowed you to do that maybe you didn't know about prior, or that you're like just hey, that was pretty cool. And I'm glad I got to do that because I'm in this business. Well, well I'll tell you, um, when I left Merrill Lynch, um, I began to learn more of the insurance side of the house. Because when I was at Merrill, I was primarily gathering assets. Yeah. Funds, wealth management accounts, right? So when I began to learn the tax advantages of permanent life insurance and the ability to have the capability of <laughs> developing your own bank, mm -hmm. borrow against your own assets. That was an eye-opening for me. And then now being able to add on a previous skill set or previous concepts of understanding, you know, assets can be here, but assets can be over here too. That's right. And having a diversified selection of assets that can help you grow your wealth and sustain your wealth building strategies and not just one area. Mm -hmm. Not just one area. So I guess Rod, the biggest area I would say is just having a ability to have diversification and selection in different financial resources and different solutions. Yeah. Those capabilities. And then understanding, well, how do you protect your estate? You know, through trust. You know, you put your life insurance policy in a trust and you can protect your estate, mm -hmm. right? So these are the type of things that we have to teach our community. Um, it's one of the areas I've been focusing on recently as well as going into churches and having seminars about that. Let's, Take a look at your insurance protection. Here's the importance of establishing a will. All right. Do you know that you can protect your estate through getting a life insurance policy, putting it in a trust, and then protecting your estate that way? So having collaborative efforts with estate planning attorneys. Mm. Right, just building your uh, consortium of trusted advisors around you. Those are the type of things that I've benefited and learned want to teach, teach others. So I have an agency, so um, I teach others just what I know, okay? Absolutely. Teach others just what I know. Absolutely. So that, that's, what, that's what it's all about, you know, it's because, you know, each one teach one, and the reality is you, you don't know what you don't know, you know, and, and that's what I find, you know, in this space, and one of the reasons that this platform even exists is because you know, personally, I feel like 
once you once you have a license or you're working in the space, particularly in financial services, but in in insurance and in risk management as well, not only are you empowered with information that you can apply to your own life, uh, but you also can take that information and you can help others. And most people actually see it from the standpoint of, oh, well, I can help somebody, I can sell a policy, but you can apply this stuff to you too. Yes, yes. Even Absolutely. even if you're not even if you're not you know actively you know, marketing yourself, you know, as an insurance professional or financial services professional, you have the license, you have the tools, it can work for you directly, right? <laughs> it should. It and should. Right? By practicing what you preach, then right. comes back to haunt you. <laughs> that's right. It comes back to haunt you. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, you know, at, at this point, you know, you, you, you are going out, you, you're going into the communities. Um, I know that you know you're speaking speaking more publicly and, and, and you've been sharing these concepts you know with clients, but really making it available for a broader audience. Uh, what's what's the goal now? What's what, for Jason Mary? Like what's what's the dream? What's the goal? What what's what what's the 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 end game, so to speak? So, I envision and I am uh, leveraging all that I know, and I'm I'm seeing how. I can help again the next generation. And I'm continuing to add different skills. Okay. So, one of the skills that I'm actually learning and um, developing another license, and that's a, an agent license for athletes. Okay. Mm. The recent NIL law that has been passed that gives athletes the capability of leveraging and getting compensated for their name, image, and likeness. They're going to need trusted advisors to really help them navigate. Absolutely. So let's say they get this money, right? They need to understand the tax consequences. They also need to understand that, all right, let's say you make it to the pros and the livelihood of a professional athlete is short-lived in most instances. So let's say you establish yourself where you make $10 million over a short period of time. That $10 million can go if it's not handled properly or you don't have the proper trusted advisors working with you. So I have a goal of being a trusted advisor for these upcoming athletes who need some direction and also can develop a plan whereas after their playing days are over, they can develop businesses. I'll give you a perfect example. Jamal Mashburn, Cardinal Hayes graduate, okay? Kentucky graduate. He's done an excellent job of making millions of dollars in the NBA and then developing his ability to leverage his millions and generate businesses. You know, Shaq is another one. Yeah. There's, there's different individuals who have successfully leveraged the millions of dollars and have put them to work. And now their generation wealth can continue to be passed down or they become philanthropists and they can give back to the communities and have an impact. Yeah. That's what's on my agenda. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I, lo I love that. I love that. Like that's a, that's that's actually you know really strong and and it's a really a great compliment, you know, to the things that you've done done currently, um, that you can share as well. What uh, for, before we start to to wrap it up here for, for someone who is, you know, who who is either new, you know, to the business. Uh, whether it be on the 
financial planning and financial services side, or they're on the life and health and on the insurance side, if they're kind of thinking, you know, maybe wondering even if they can, if they can do it or should do it, what, what kind of note or what, what, what kind of message would you, would you give to that person? I would tell them that it is something that I've told, you know, my children that if you have the capability where you can earn your living versus having to interview for a job and earn a salary for your living, you'll always have the capability of having a living. Let me repeat mm. that. If you have the capability and you can develop that skill to earn your living versus asking for a job, it's a skill that can continue to give you the ability to, to make money. That's right. And having a, license, having a license gives you that. Whether it's a life insurance license, whether it's a property casualty license, whether it's a securities license or an agent license, an athlete agent license. It doesn't matter. But That's right. The ability to earn your income through entrepreneurship efforts is critical, is very key. Jules. Jewels, jewels and nuggets, you know, from Mr. Jason Mary. No, I, I, absolutely. Hey, look, you know, I, I thank you for the time, you know, to share and, and, and speak today, share, sharing that wisdom. Um, for, for individuals who want to get, get in contact with you, maybe they're in the New York, New Jersey area. They might be in other parts of the country, but they're listening to what you're saying. Maybe they want to find out more, you know, about you know, rites of passage and, and, and what that means and how it can maybe impact them, maybe impact their, their young people. They want to get copies of your book. How, how do people get in contact with Jason Mary? Oh, well, phone number 201-314-8301. Um, and all my social media uh, handles are Jason Murray CEO. So through LinkedIn, um, Instagram or Facebook um, or Twitter, Jason Murray, CEO. Those are my handles for social media. And then 201-314-8301. Jason Murray, CEO. And the number, contacts, we'll have them you know, in the video and in the bio as well. So you got to do is click a link in the bio. You'll be able to get right to Jason Murray. Hey, um, Jason, thank you so much you know, for the time this evening, uh, for, for sharing, uh, for taking a moment. I know your schedule is busy as well. And uh, for those who are listening in, uh, taking this in, the man just told you, you know, if you have the opportunity to earn your living versus asking for your living, you're going to be in a much better situation. So hopefully you took that to heart and you heard something that has you thinking to yourself in this moment that maybe hmm, you should get a license until the next time. Take care. We'll talk soon. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you, Jason.